welcome to Wobbies and Wizards. This is the your host today, Light, the Light-Fingered Thief. And I'm your co-host, Logar the Barbarian. Hey, Light. What's up, Logar? I was reading something, and this book's probably about 22 years old <laughs> this year. <laughs> it okay. blows, blows my mind because it seems like the brand new thing to D&D still when I pick it up. It's still a classic. It's the third, not 3.5, but the third edition Dungeon Master's Handbook. And I'm just going to read a section called Behind the Curtain. Why Dungeons? I'm a fan of Dungeons. I love playing in Dungeons. But here's something I'm going to have to put on my reader glasses to read this little section. Because <laughs> I'm getting it, the, the, the text on this, on this is, yeah. Behind the Curtains. Why dungeons? Dungeons facilitate gameplay. Dungeons, being underground, set apart from the adventure from the rest of the world in a clean way. The idea of walking down a corridor, opening a door, and entering an encounter, while a gross oversimplification and generalization, facilitates the flow of game by reducing things down to easily grasped and digestible concepts. You have an easy way to control the adventure in a dungeon without leading the characters by the nose. In a dungeon, the perimeters are clearly defined for the PCs. They can't walk through walls, well, not at first anyways, or go into rooms that aren't there. Yet aside from those limits, they can go wherever they like in whatever order they like. The limited environment of the dungeon grants players a feeling of control over their own destiny. A dungeon is really nothing but an adventure flowchart. The rooms are encounters and the corridors are connections between the encounters, showing which should follow which. You could design a dungeon-like flowchart for an adventure that didn't take place in a dungeon and accomplish the same thing. One encounter leads to two more, which in turn leads to others. So, I hear complaints about not having control over the direction of the adventure because of player agency often from Dungeon Masters. And if you really want to have a little more control like that, a dungeon is probably what you want to look at running. Yeah, I would say for Star Dungeon Masters, they should run a traditional, you know, take your pick, 10-room, 20-room dungeon because the environment itself controls what the player can do. They can go from point A to point B to point C, and that's about it. Some point in time years ago, and I think I got this from Dragon Mags back in the day, back during second edition, I really got into designing five-room dungeons. The five-room dungeon, and sometimes I'd branch a little more off and give it a few extra little corridors and things to explore, but the basic idea of the five-room dungeon with a trap or two and some treasures and some encounters and something that kind of makes that dungeon meaningful and running dungeons like that... I found was almost the perfect size to be a one night's game. That night I could usually get through five rooms in a dungeon with the players. They take their time exploring, messing with a trap and fighting something. It gave me a lot of control over the game for the night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're doing like one shots or one night things, you know, having smaller dungeons, works well and people know what to expect so the game can flow pretty easily without having a lot of questions and such so setting up that way i think is certainly advantageous now, i'm a big fan of dungeons i like playing games 
where I'm running through a dungeon and exploring, I have this nostalgic thing of when I was a kid. We had this uh, old barn that was behind my great-grandfather Pops. Uh, he had a little farm out in the middle of nowhere. Now, it was kind of a defunct farm, but it was all farmland around there. And there were a lot of trees through there. And I remember my cousin and I kind of going through that, that, those, those woods to this old barn. They said the feller who owned it, his name was Bobby Fisher. Bobby Fisher? Is that's that what chess- they called it. I think it is a chess name, but I that's do remember player, them right? talking. <laughs> yeah, it, it is the chess player's name. But they said that the, uh, that the person who actually owned that land, his name was Bobby Fisher, they said. But he had passed some years before. Probably passed in the 70s because this was the early 80s we would run through there. And they called it the old Fisher place. And I would go with my cousin and I, we would dig through that old barn and find all the craziest things. And we'd come out with treasures. I got this old time life picture book that was all big, filled with stuff from World War II. And this old, I think it was a plain dealer book, just with the popular uh, big historic front pages of the plain dealer like an oversized bound book in newsprint through historical events from the 1800s or something like that up to the mid 1900s because i think it came out in the mid 1900s like the 50s or maybe the 60s at the most i think it was before the moon landing but digging through the little rooms in there and finding those little treasures was so fun and i loved it i loved just discovering the unknown that was left there from ages past and every time we play a dungeon, I kind of get in the mindset of that, rummaging through those old rooms and those finding those treasures. And that's what I like about dungeons. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for example, with the, in the situation you mentioned, it's more about exploring and investigation, which is one aspect of our D&D games. For me, you know, I like it to make sure that we it's balanced with other things like, you know, role playing as well as an objective of going into the dungeon. An objective could be that, hey, we're poor adventurers. We need to go find some gold and you go into a dungeon. I think that's a legit reason. However, you know, I also like to have adventures with other purposes and objectives. You know, it's as basic as rescuing the princess from the whatever, the high tower type of thing. You know, having an objective um, to accomplish for me, I think is also important as well too. And so for me, you know, exploration by itself is fun, but may not be enough or repetitive if we do it too many times. So I like having other ways to mix it up a little bit of why do we have a dungeon and why are we going into an area to explore take your pick castle dungeon cavern one of i think that when we're talking about the dungeon as a controlled kind of adventure there's a lot you can do with that and there's a lot of ways you can structure those mega dungeons have gotten really popular in the last couple of decades or the last decade especially uh, one of the first ones I ran across that came out in the little module pamphlets by piece by piece was Raponathook. And I've ran that for uh, Castles and Crusades. We actually ran it for with our group. And there's quite a few other mega dungeons out there that I have on my shelf. I haven't gotten a chance to run. And there's a lot of ways you can control that adventure and plot that out and give those other objectives. I think like one thing we talked about during Dungeon Ecology was the different factions down there. Right. And I think I've had a lot of fun in adventures when dealing with different factions. For example, during our Hyperborea campaign that you ran, we went into the city. It wasn't a dungeon. It was a city adventure. And there were multiple factions and we weren't quite sure what side to be on. <laughs> right. 
I love the ambiguity of that when it comes to factions. We can hear the positive good side of each side that's warring. We can see the conflicts that they have. And we you have to kind of, at a point, do you have to choose between the sides? You may be forced to make a choice. You may try to stay ambivalent. And and was, is it ambivalent the word I'm ambivalent, looking for? Yeah. Yeah, you may try to stay a... Uh, and uh, a neutral, a neutral party, but sometimes it's hard to stay neutral. It's hard to be Switzerland, as they say. Or you might play both sides, like your group did until the very end. <laughs> yep, I mean, we definitely played both sides. Hey, we're your buddy, and then at a point, we didn't know what side we were going to end up <laughs> being for or helping out more. We just went with it, and right. whatever worked at the time worked. <laughs> It leads to a new adventure <laughs> and building up using the dungeon as a, as a flow chart to control when those encounters can or will occur can, can easily help you build those adventures when you're building up your own games and creating them for everyone. When you, okay, we know that we don't want the players to run into X faction or X problem or X monster just yet for whatever reason that we have in mind, they can be deeper in the dungeon. We can hear about them before we can discover them after the other side has already filled our heads with how horrifying they are. And we come in there and we discover, oh, like in that blog we reviewed a few weeks back, we discover that, oh, this is the misunderstood monster, the Frankenstein's monster. And you can create those things, you know, those flows of adventure that we're looking to create and have a little more control of where the players go by limiting where they can go by just putting them in a dungeon. Yeah, so within the dungeon itself, like I said, having the factions, I think, makes it more interesting because then you have more of the role-playing, R-O-L-E, uh, versus just pure exploration, uh, combat, and traps. Again, I know some old-school players enjoy doing the exploration and traps and treasure-finding only, but again, for me, if we go into a dungeon, I like to have a mix of different things. Creating the factions, I think, is a wonderful way of bringing NPCs and creating that interaction for the players to figure out are we the bad guys or are we the <laughs> good guys or who should we be helping? Um, are we being forced to help? Cause we've been in situations where we're like, we can't defeat this faction, like the large ogre that we ran into in OSE. Oh, that was good. I, that was one of my fun. I loved that. Yeah. So it's like, well, maybe we should try to ally with them cause he can certainly, you know, eat my character in one chomp. So, <laughs> so having those elements, I think makes it more interesting within the uh, dungeon dungeon delving and dungeon crawling one of the things that i often preach is the lethality of of gaming and having creatures that you probably don't want to fight because they'll kill you because it leads to things like when we befriended an ogre and tried to you know make deals and barter with this ogre to help us get rid of the other faction that we were having problems with and it led to some fun role-playing r-o-l-e playing our role instead of rolling our dice I like that kind of thing a lot. <laughs> yeah. So again, for me, you know, I want to make sure we have a, a mix in the adventure. You know, you got some exploring, investigating, you got some uh, role playing with NPCs. Uh, you have some combat as well. So it's not all geared just towards one aspect, which a lot of the older games are set up that way. It's like, oh, let's just go wander into, into a, you know, whatever, a cavern or a temple just to explore. Um, so for me, having different elements, I always mix a game up a little bit. That's why. For some of the mega dungeons that we've played, I like having elements of you know factions 
and such versus just a pure crawl and survival. One thing that I think we are, we just recorded an episode right before this one about dungeon ecology. And I want to bring up that one thing, like you're talking about exploring and stuff like that, using dungeon ecology as that thing you can explore and investigate and learn more about who's here and what's going on is something you can easily do while building a dungeon with, if you're building your own dungeon, put a little thought into it. Now I know people like Pathfinder, Paizo, Paizo's dungeons and things like that are very much, they rely heavily on things like dungeon ecology and the story, the overall art. So if you're looking to see how some people are doing that kind of thing, some of the adventure adventure paths they've put out for Paizo are pretty good for that. I do find them to be more railroady than I prefer when I'm running because I'm more of a sandbox feller, but there's a lot to learn there. And there's a lot you can pull from them. They were the ones who did Dungeon Magazine before they started doing the Pathfinder role-playing game. And I can't tell you how many Dungeon Magazine dungeons I've pulled out for games. They are wonderful. If you've got old issues of Dungeon Mag or Dragon Mag, now Dragon Mag I like a little bit more because it's all just adventures, whereas Dungeon right. Mag had player stuff and DM stuff in it. But those are there for you to look at. And you can always just yank a dungeon out of those to run for your games. I did it all the time for games. I've ran so many of those dungeons out of the intended context and use those things in my own game for my own purposes. Yeah. So with the um, dungeons themselves, again, it, it's a good setup for a easy adventure for folks to. And, you know, as you mentioned, it might be a little bit railroady for some of the Pathfinder ones, but, you know, for me, it's rare when it says that, okay, you have an objective or purpose that you got to accomplish. So, <laughs> you know, you have a mission or goal. So you got to go and get it done. And sometimes players aren't going to follow that and they're going to take you someplace else. You don't plan on going as a DM. <laughs> and I say, go with it and see what wonderful thing. Cause I've had some of the funnest games where my players have taken me completely off track. That gets to be good. Well, we're about up on time. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook. Just search Wobblies and Wizards. We post there pretty often. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. We've not been posting there as much lately, but we'll try to get a few new posts up here soon. You can follow me on Twitter at LogarHaleCrom and keep those dice rolling. Yeah, maybe you roll lucky when you're stuck underground with the angry ogre. Mm-hmm. <laughs>